Let us again rise from our seats for our scripture reading. Our scripture reading today comes from Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, thanks be to God, thanks be to God. Now I invite Pastor Mark 1 to deliver God's word to us for us today. If you don't know me, I met many of you at the retreat. Uh, I am a church member here. We've been here as a family since like July, and uh, just been volunteering in different ways. My three awesome sons are here. I have a daughter who is in Promised Land in second grade. And I, before I became a Navy chaplain, that's why I'm wearing this thing, uh, I, I was at one point uh, a pastor in different capacities. And like many of us, I started out in youth ministry as well. And I do believe uh, with you, uh, how many of you are in middle school? How many, and the rest of you are high school? Yes, high school? Everybody else is high school. Okay. So, you know, middle school and high school, some of probably darkest times of my life as well. A lot of challenges, a lot of pressures, and a lot of things to deal with. But I hope today as we look at what the Bible has to say about courage and strength as a superpower, that you would have hope. That you would begin to see your life in a different way. That you will walk out of here feeling a lot more hopeful and confident that God has my back. And all the fearful and negative things that have been haunting me, uh, they're really small now. Uh, may that be your experience today in the Lord. Uh, I invite you at this time, if you can just stand with me. If everybody could just stand for a second. Okay. Uh, let's just close our eyes. Because... This isn't, 
you know, God's exper experiencing God does not depend on, you know, crafty speakers and smart pastors. Depends on our faith. Jesus said that he couldn't do many miracles in his hometown because they didn't believe him. They just didn't believe. So if there's no unbelief, you could bring a legend of a preacher. You could bring a hundred preachers. It doesn't matter. The people are not going to experience God. So I want to invite you at this time. Let's just close our eyes. Let's just open our hands like this, right, as a gesture of physically saying, God, I want to receive from you. Let's just open our hands, okay. With our eyes closed. Nobody, you know, nobody's peeking at you. Don't be self-conscious. Let's just open our palms as a way of saying, God, please speak to me. Reach me today. Touch me and give me hope. Give me strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take your seats. So everyone repeat after me. Christian courage is a superpower that is unlocked in response to God. You know, you may have a great phone, right? So here, I got a, this is a iPhone 13 Pro Max. Uh, whether, and if you're an Android person, you're like, ugh, right? So what? But there's something that people do when you either sell a phone or trade in a phone or something. So I could give you the latest Apple phone or Android phone and give it to you. What is it? What has to happen for you to be able to use it? Just call it out. You gotta unlock it, right? If I have like a code on it or something, then does it do you any good? Would you want a phone that is really high tech, but you can't lock it? That's pretty frustrating, right? Yes, just nod with me if that would be frustrating. If you had something very high performing, but you can't use it because you don't have the unlock code. And so when you trade it in, that's the first thing they make you do, right? They make you uh, turn off the find my phone thing. With Android, I don't know, but it's something probably something similar where they want you to turn off the passcode. That is kind of how the Christian life is. It's like having something extremely powerful, so much potential in your life, and yet so many people don't have the code, so they just carry around this brick. I can't use it. I go to church, but I can't use it. It doesn't help. It doesn't work. When I was your age, growing up in the Korean church, I can't tell you how many times I did the sinner's prayer. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? I go to a retreat or I go to a revival and the speaker says, okay, you know, after like two hours of worship or something, if you feel like God is speaking to you today and you want to give your life to God and you want to repent of your sins and, you know, come up the aisles. There's different versions. Sometimes they make you walk the aisle. Sometimes they make you stand up. I've done those things, I don't know, countless times, over 10 times in my life. And every time I wonder, maybe that one wasn't as real. <laughs> I don't see uh, the change or impact as well, much in my life. So maybe I have to do it again, just in case, just in case. And it made me kind of question the Christian life. If I have to keep doing this thing, like, what is there to this? I, I don't understand. Why isn't there like a dramatic, powerful change in my life? Why do I have to keep going to this and, and doing the same sinner's prayer as if I'm not even a believer? There's a lot of different reasons to that. Some of it is just maturity. I was still just a kid, immature in every way. 
but I longed to know God for real. I didn't want to be a part of a church just to be part of a church. But if the God that the church was preaching about was real, I wanted all in. I wanted all of it. But I just felt like uh, what I wanted and what was in my life, there was a distance, right? I find myself struggling with the same things that everybody else struggles with, that doesn't go to church. And I find other kids at church also struggling with things. And it's like, why is the Christian life like this? Is it just this? Is this all there is? And it's kind of like carrying that phone that is still locked. How do I unlock this? And hopefully today, God will give you wisdom in taking steps towards unlocking God's blessings and God's grace in your life through faith. Amen? Amen? Okay, if, I think I had slides up, but if not, I want to ask you a question. What do you think about when you think of the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Is it being moral? Staying out of trouble? Following rules? Is it about just going to church? Knowing the Bible? Those things are not bad, but those things don't define a follower of Jesus. They are secondary things that people do. What about when you think of the word courage? What comes to mind? Is it warriors going to battle, fighting aliens or zombies? It takes courage, right, to fight zombies. What do you think about? Is courage even a word that people in middle school and high school use? Does it even matter? What is courage? In C.S. Lewis's uh, series called The Chronicles of Narnia, he is depicting Jesus as the lion, Aslan. And there's an important thing that he says, the author says about Aslan, but really it's about Jesus. And it's that he is not safe, but he is good. Jesus also displayed courage in his walk in uh, ministry. And to realize the blessings of God, we will need courage. You are children of Abraham. That probably doesn't make any sense for some of you. It's like, who is Abraham? Why am I his child? You are spiritual children of Abraham, and so am I. This didn't make any sense to me when I first heard it. But in the Old Testament, God calls Abraham, and beginning with Abraham, really the people, the Jewish people today as we know it, come from him. And the Jewish people are not an ethnic people. There are people who are defined by their faith, by their diet, by the book of the Old Testament, and they have become a country. So you have a country now called Israel. But it's unique because that country wasn't found on location. You know, most countries is like, okay, you live here and they will form a government and they will become a country and have a military and so forth. Israel is one, is one of the most unique countries in the world. It was not founded by geography or just history. It was founded by faith. God said, Abraham, I am going to make you a nation. Out of you will come mighty and great leaders. And Abraham was old. If you know the story, right, he's like, I don't have a son. How will I have a nation and so forth? And God gives him Isaac. 
and Isaac, and so, and then future generations come, right? And the Bible says that we are children of Abraham if we are believers in Jesus Christ. And Abraham was given all these promises of blessing that their life, that Abraham and his descendants, their life would not be a failure, that their life would not be meaningless and pointless, that their life would not be about just passing the time until it's over, that their lives will mean something, that his sons would be kings and queens, that they will be prophets, that they would change the world, that they would introduce the will of God, that God will bless them. God says, Abraham, I will be a friend to your friends and enemy to your enemies. That's a pretty cool thing to have, huh? To have God on my back, that he's got my back, that my enemies will be his enemies and my friends will be his friends. Those promises are ours. Whether you are 12 or whether you are 20, it doesn't matter. When you believe in Jesus Christ, those are the promises, but those promises are locked. They're locked. The first thing, an unlocking God's promises is we look at Joshua, right? God addresses Joshua in front of everybody. He says, Joshua, you are Moses' uh, student, and now you will take on the leadership that he once had, but you will need to be strong and courageous. How many, who counted how many times strong and courageous was said there in that text? Take a guess. How many people say once, twice, three times, four? Okay, can I get, okay, let, let, let me see. Who, who, who says strong and courageous was said once in that text? Raise your hand. Twice, raise your hand. Okay, three times, raise your hand. Four times. Three times. Three times. With an emphasis, be strong and courageous. Is that important? You know, the most important things in life we do are done publicly, okay? Baptism is done publicly. Nobody baptizes somebody in a bathroom, you know, a bathtub in somebody's residence in private. Unless there's no other choice and somebody comes to faith and that's it, right? Like generally, that's not how we do it. Weddings are public. People want to celebrate the wedding and authenticate the wedding and say, this is real. This person and this person, they're getting married. This is a community confession and commitment till death do us apart. Funerals are also public. Unless it was a very shameful death where people are like, I don't want this person, I don't want anybody to know about this death. We do them publicly for a reason. When we do these important things publicly, they don't just, it's not about what other people see. It's how I see myself in this commitment now. When I married my wife publicly, now I have to think of the marriage differently, more seriously than had I just done it online by liking something or someone. Now I'm committed. These people all watch me. And if this marriage does well, they will be happy. If this marriage falls apart and people know I'm a pastor, what does that mean? What does that mean? 
That's a lot of ripple effects. When I was when I was your age, and I would go to youth service, there were always like pastors and a couple of older kids, like leaders and volunteers, that would like worship God with their hands raised and other things. You know, just they're very physical and expressive and public about that. You may see kids praying at lunch at school. You may have been one of those kids that used to pray at school because you've been taught to, but it just you didn't want attention. You didn't want to be made fun of. So you stopped doing it or you began to just do it with your eyes open. There's no shame in that. This is the world we live in. The world makes fun of Christians because it, is, it doesn't know Jesus. Saying a prayer out loud if you're called in a group may be like the scariest thing in the world. We want to keep our Christianity private, secret. What kind of marriage is secret? What kind of funeral is held, kept secret? Only when there's something wrong with it. Only when there's something to hide. When we come to worship, right, and there's people that are lifting their hands or doing things, it's important that you do that. You know, in the beginning, I made everybody get up. And I said, hey, open your palms and ask God to speak to you today. Many of you did that because you didn't feel as awkward. Some of you still didn't do it because you, were still, you still felt awkward. I call it spiritual squirminess. And the devil loves using that. To keep us distracted and away from God's blessings. But today you will be blessed. You will be blessed today. Amen. Just say it. Just receive it. The spiritual squirminess where the phone is my way of feeling safe. Or something else. The squirminess is how the enemy works to keep us from unlocking God's real blessings in our lives. So we just go back to the same thing. We just go to the church again, retreat again, revive again. It's the same thing over and over. Go to college, it's the same thing again. Nothing's going to change until you are willing to give God a public declaration of faith. God, I will do it. I will follow you. Because it's not for God, it's for us. When someone is willing to get up and physically make a confession of their faith by baptism, that is for them. It affects their faith. It affects their life now. Their life has changed now. Their identity has changed. So making our faith public is so important. This is not to shame anybody who doesn't, at school, lunch, you know, you're not praying like this. It's not about that. It's about how we are so afraid and so we become prisoners of fear and we no longer are able to seek God's blessings. That is the big paralysis. It's like you're paralyzed spiritually. When I joined the Navy, I was on a big ship. It was 800 feet long. I had 2,000 sailors, right, Navy people, and 1,500 Marines. So 3,500 people total. It was a big ship. There was a chaplain who served on that ship long before me. You know what he said to me? He said, Chaplain Juan, that ship is demon-possessed. 
Just before I got to the ship, there was a suicide. Just before I got to the ship, the commanding officer, so the, the guy that runs the ship, he was fired because he was doing immoral things. A month in, on the ship, I see a guy who, like, just massive, looks like a Vin Diesel from prison kind of guy, you know, just bald head, big. He looks alone. He looks like nobody wants to talk to him. So I'm like, well, I'm the chaplain. I'm going to go talk to him. I go talk to the guy. We become friends. He starts bringing people to my office all the time for counseling. And one day he comes to me and says, chaplain, I need to talk to you. He's like, okay, sit down. How can I help you? He says, you need to know that a month ago you saved a sailor's life. So I said, what do you mean I saved a sailor's life? He said, the day you came to talk to me, I was about to jump off the ship. I was speechless. And I, could just, and I said, well, I, obviously I can't take any credit because I had no idea. But thanks be to God for using me and somehow using you now. And throughout that whole deployment and that whole time on that ship, he became like a champion. <laughs> he was going out around evangelizing people. He was bringing them to me all the time. And it was a dark, dark ship with a lot of problems. But there was another group that stood out for me. It was a group of Marines, very young, not much older than some of you here. 21, 20, because some of them were 18. So your age. But they would meet every week for a Bible study on their own. And so I would go to them. I'd say, hey, do you guys need anything from me? Like, and I wasn't saying I have to teach the Bible study because they have a right to have their own Bible study. I wanted to give them any resources or support. And they're like, chaplain is fine, but you can join us if you want. So one day I went and joined them. The morale, right, or the spirit of the people in the ship was so low that everywhere you went, the ship was so depressing. It was one of the most depressing experiences of my life. But when I went to that Bible study of these Marines who were like 18 to 22 years old, something was different about these guys. It's as if they were on a different ship. I go to them, they're happy, they're relaxed, they're peaceful, they're confident. And some of them are very junior. They're not senior ranking Marines. They're very junior. They don't care. There was something about them that was different throughout the whole deployment. These Marines, I found out, wherever they went, they were in Afghanistan, they had a Bible study. They were on the ship, they had a Bible study. They were in Iraq, they had a Bible study. Wherever they went, their faith was public. And it was their anchor. So even if the ship was dark and depressing and bad things were happening... They still had hope. They had each other. They were able to pray. They saw God helping them. It is part of our human weakness to be afraid to publicly live out our faith. Even Peter in the Bible, if you know the story, how many times does Peter deny Jesus because publicly he doesn't want to be known as a follower of Jesus What's the number? Somebody call it out. Three, yes. Three times. There's a theme here, right? Three, three, number three means something in the Bible. He denies Jesus three times, but later on he goes on to become this mighty warrior for Jesus. He preaches the gospel and thousands of people come to faith. He is bold. He's fearless. What happens to him? How does he go from terrified to fearless? Don't you want to go from terrified to fearless? 
Don't you need to come to a point where you're not coming to church because of your mom and dad anymore? Because maybe they'll take things away from your life? Or maybe because you feel guilty if you don't come to church? Young men and women, this is time for you to now seek Jesus because you know he is Lord and Savior. Amen? Peter becomes this lion of a preacher because he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you, when we are ashamed and we're hiding, we're scared what, what people are going to say about us because of our Christian faith and we, we cower and we try to be anonymous or, or tucked away, that quenches the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit can do through you. So it locks the phone again. It locks God's blessings in your life because you are, you're not unlocking. You're not letting God unleash his blessings, his purpose, his great plans for your life. Many of us experience God in new and powerful ways at the retreat, at the JG retreat. Now it's time to carry that on and say, yes, now I will publicly live out my faith. So the first thing is that courageous following of Jesus requires a public faith. When Joshua and the Israelites invaded the land of Canaan and the promised land, you know how they beat their first, how they captured their first city? You know what's the first thing they did? It was most, it's potentially the most embarrassing thing you can do as a military. Because Joshua is a military commander. Do you know what they did? They circled the city in silence, not with weapons, but with instruments of worship. They were probably the mockery and the laughing stock at Jericho. Look at those idiots. What are they doing? <laughs> They're circling our city with instruments, not with weapons. But that was God training them and showing them that worship is your weapon. Worship is your spiritual weapon. When you come to church, and whatever you may be feeling, you may have had a bad week. You may have had a, had a terrible moment in the parking lot. It doesn't matter. You may have gotten a text message right before you walked in that just ruined your day. When you decide to physically just say, body, you will worship the Lord, your feelings will follow. But if you sit there waiting for your feelings to kind of ramp up enough so that you could actually do something for God or follow Jesus regardless of what other people say, it will never happen. You will be sitting in that seat for the rest of your life in some other seat later. You will have to move your body. You will have to force your body to worship God. The feelings will follow. Though it may be embarrassing, try lifting up your hands in worship. Try kneeling when you pray. You know, in the Bible, when people lose somebody they love, or it doesn't even have to be somebody they love, they lose somebody and they mourn, and they have a period of mourning. And this is actually in some parts of the world, they do this today. They wear different clothing. Do you know that? In, in the U.S., what do people wear to like funerals? 
they wear black. You can wear anything black. You could be, it could be a black sweater, it could be a black suit. It's just black. It's just a color. It, it really doesn't mean a whole lot. You don't feel it. Well, in the Bible and in many parts of the world, even today, and in Korea too, actually, in Korea they wear uh, a different fabric. But in the Bible, they wear sackcloth. If we could have a picture of that up there. Sackcloth is very prickly and uncomfortable. It's it just, you cannot wear it and relax. You just cannot relax. And in the Bible, people wear these for days. So, they may, so you may lose somebody that you don't really care about. I'm not sad, but I'm wearing this thing, and I'm uncomfortable. And the, the sackcloth is reminding me, you are in a time of mourning. You are in a time of mourning. So a physical reminder of telling me what I should be doing, regardless of how I feel on the inside. Feeling dry in worship. Feeling distracted in prayer, right? You're about to pray, and then that's when like all the, the stuff about school, your, 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 your video game that you're into, or the latest group chat, this is like spinning in your head now. And that's like, you're just like this. That's when you should just close your eyes and lift up your hands. You are now courageously following Jesus by putting your body into submission to your faith. When we do that, when we physically come to God... That's when we are kind of opening ourselves now to the Holy Spirit more. So in my most desperate prayers, I, my hands are always out. Just like a little child asking a parent to pick them up, to help them, to embrace them. That's where your most spiritually powerful prayers come from. When you're physically doing that. If your arms are crossed or this is you, I'm sorry, you're never going to get anything from church. You're just kind of punishing yourself for no reason. And I'm sure you have all different reasons why you come. I grew up in the Korean church, so I know a lot of Korean kids come because of parental pressure or to come out with their hang out with their friends. That's okay. I, I hope you still come. You should still come. Even if you come to nap here, I want you to come. You should still come because this is still the house of God and God can still work here. And I've seen him work in that way. But I want you to at least, as a maturing young man and young woman, think seriously about your posture, why you come, and ask yourself that. As, as somebody who's becoming an adult soon, I want you to think about that. The last thing. For those of you who came to the YG retreat, I, my son told me I didn't finish a story. And, I, and I, he was right. I didn't finish a story. I got too excited about sharing uh, at the seminar. But I share a story of when I was a youth pastor at the time in Virginia. When we went to a retreat, right, we had a college student that came. Actually, he wasn't a college student. He was just a high school, he, he either a high school dropout or he was just college age. He was like 20. And his mom pressured him to come. He came. First day, as soon as he got dropped off, right, after we had lunch, he comes to me and he's just like, hey, man, 
like, I'm not supposed to be here. You know, my mom kind of did this thing, but like, if you could give me a ride, that'd be great. Like, can I head back? And I'm just kind of looking at him like he has two heads. We just drove two hours away to the retreat center, and this guy is just asking me to drive him back. So I say to him, okay, Wayne, I got a deal for you. If you stay for the retreat and you give yourself 100%, and at the time, I didn't have to say, don't get on your phone, don't do stupid things, be focused, be all in, because we didn't really have cell phones back then. But I said, just be all in. Don't be the cool kid in the corner acting like you're bigger than this or you're better than everybody. If you jump into everything, I promise you God will meet you here. And if God doesn't meet you here, I will take you home personally and I will ask your mom never to send you to church again, to give you permission to stay home. I will do that for you. Do you want to take that bet? And he kind of hesitated. I said, what do you have to lose? You could just prove me wrong. You could prove God wrong and say, see, I told you. I knew there was nothing in church. You could laugh at me. You could mock me. You could do all of that. After. So what do you have to lose? Just take the bet. Well, he took the bet. He stayed. And through the worship, I saw him. When everyone is praying, he's looking around. When everyone is praying and worshiping, he's sitting in the corner, just feet up, like he's too cool. Kept praying. I didn't, I was fine. I knew God was going to eventually work on him. Second night of worship, our prayer time was longer. And I didn't care what he was doing, but we were praying. And finally, we're praying. I'm praying for other people. I'm busy, I'm busy taking care of other people. So I notice, I look over, and there's Wayne in a fetal position. A ball of tears. Two people praying with him, laying hands on him. I go pray for him. He's bawling even more. I still have a note that Wayne wrote for me after the retreat about how, thanks to me, he met God. My young brothers and sisters, God is not that far. He's not difficult to meet or hard to find. You just have to be serious. You just have to want God. But you have so many things, right, that distract you, make you feel happy for a moment in the world, in apps. But you know, when you turn off your phone or your phone is dead and it's time to sleep or you're in the bathroom by yourself, do those things really make you happy? When you actually have a moment to think about your life with entertainment or the world, does it really make you happy? I would take on a bet with any of you that really says that makes you happy. And it's an enduring happiness. No, it's just a momentary distraction. It's just I could be distracted so I could feel better about life and myself for a moment. But as soon as I stop, as soon as the phone stops, as soon as the game stops, everything is just waiting for me there. And life is miserable. So I'm even more depressed now. Isn't this a cycle for some of you? And this is a cycle for many adults. This, is, this has nothing to do with you being youth. This is life. And you are tasting that. As young men and women. I will finish with this final story. Uh, my first dog was a pit bull. And I didn't know much about pit bulls, but my friend told me they're great dogs. I'm from New York. A lot of people have pit bulls. 
So I got a 75-pound red-nosed pit bull male. And if you have no, if you can't picture what that looks like, 75-pound pit bull is very strong. It almost has like horse strength. It was so strong. And this pit bull comes into my apartment and was actually trying to hump my leg. I was sitting on the couch and it was trying to hump my leg. And I was just kind of gently trying to keep the dog away because I didn't want to be dishonored by a dog. But he wouldn't stop. I mean, we're talking about, it felt like minutes, like the dog was trying to hump my leg. And if you have a dog try to hump your leg before, if it's a toy dog, what can you do? It's a little Pomeranian, what do you do? What is that? What do you do if it's a small dog that's trying to hump your ankle? What do you do? You just kind of kick it away, right? Just push it away. Well, I couldn't do that with this dog. It was way too big and strong. Do you know what happened with that dog? It did not hump my leg. I thought about the Bible. <laughs> I remember Genesis, the creation account. And I remembered when God told Adam, you name all the animals. And I said, wait, God created these creatures to be subdued and under me. And he is trying to dishonor me. And it produced in me like a holy anger. And all of a sudden, I went from being terrified to fearless. So now I was thinking, okay, how do I subdue this thing? What do I do? The neck was so thick, I couldn't even wrap my fingers around it. So I was like, okay, I need to put my body on his neck, my knee on his neck. I've never moved that fast in my whole life. I mean, I grabbed that dog and instantly had my knee on its neck and my weight with pressure on it. And I looked at it. And the dog, and he looked at me like deer in headlights. And we had a nice conversation. And basically told him if he ever did that again. After that, he was like my puppy. Never tried it again. I tell you that story because that is not me. I, I don't know dogs at the time. I, did, I wasn't, I didn't know anything about it. But courage, the supernatural courage came to me when I remember the word of God. When I remember the word of God. God says to you, seek and you shall find me when you seek me with all your heart. Ask and it shall be given to you. Knock and the door will be opened. When you remember the word of God, there can be supernatural courage if you're willing to get up, move, and respond to that word. That is supernatural courage. When God says, you will not die, but you will live, and you believe that, your life will change. There is hope for you because I am your God. That's what the Lord says. We can have courage because God says, your shame is great, and your sins are worse, but my grace is greater. God says, your failures are many, and you will fail again and again, and, but I will pick you up again and again and again. Where sin is great, God's grace is greater. Where shame and self-hatred is great, God's love is a flood of healing for you. 
Where fear of rejection is great, God's acceptance and love is reckless and consuming and life-changing. Amen? Christian courage is a superpower that is unlocked when we respond to God's word. Let's pray together. Please take a moment to respond to God with your own voice, with your own words. You could say it softly. You are not running away from anybody except yourself and from God. You're not here for me. You're not here for the person next to you. You're here because... God has called you here today. He may have forced you to come here because of your parents. He may have created circumstances where you're like, I got to go and get that new game and meet that guy at church. Whatever the reason, God brought you here today for a reason. And now, would you just respond to God and say, God, give me the courage to respond to your word. To know what it is to have that supernatural power of following Jesus in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Say that to the Lord with your own words. God, I pray for your young warriors here who may not yet have unlocked the spiritual power and authority that is theirs through Christ. May you lead them along today. May you blow off the top today and pour out your spirit upon them. May you move their bodies physically to be offered as a spiritual sacrifice of worship. May you move into their public spheres of interaction at school, in the neighborhood, among friends. And in those places, use them to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. Equip them, God. Equip this youth group. Equip every young person, every parent watching and listening to give themselves fully to the mission of being courageous and strong, to conquering the promised land by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.